0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast, your weekly view on the story shaping shipping. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. It's been another busy week. Oil market uncertainty continues to stalk tanker trade, And of course, sanctions is still a live issue that's been in our headlines again this week. While China appears to have taken a step back from Iran imports for now at least, overall, it is still an issue that's adding risk into many business decisions. Speaking of risk, Brexit continues to prompt panic and uncertainty, at least within the increasingly frantic-looking UK government. The shipping industry has collectively rubbished the UK government's plans to charter in tonnage in the hope of keeping supplies of food and medicine flowing after a no-deal Brexit, arguing that the right ships are simply unavailable in the current tight market. But perhaps more worrying is the fact that this latest ill-conceived outburst betrays a worrying lack of understanding of how the shipping industry actually operates. So if our Transport Secretary Chris Grayling is listening. I'm more than happy to offer him a promotional rate on the Lloyd's List subscription. For the good of the country, you understand. Feels like you could probably do with a few accurate insights into the shipping industry right now, and we're here to help. Get in contact, we might even find you a spot on this podcast. Now, despite these distractions, most other news has been knocked down the agenda this week while the IMO grappled with 2020 and the sulfur cap. Amid the diplomatic wrangling and political horse trading, progress has been made, but uncertainties persist, not least when it comes to enforcement and pricing. These were just two of the issues concerning my guest on this week's podcast, Wells Fargo's Shipping Equities Research Guru, Michael Weber. He spoke to me from New York about LNG's bull run, why 2020 is still a game changer, and why corporate governance in shipping is improving, but slower than both of us would have liked. Wells Fargo superstar analyst Michael Weber has for the fourth straight year been named Shipping's top equities analyst by Institutional Investor magazine. I'm very delighted he's joined the Lloyd's List podcast this week. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Michael.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: As shipping's leading equities analyst, uh, as you are officially titled now, uh, give us a view in terms of where you see the uh, the markets at the moment. You're, you're obviously very positive on on, on LNG, as, as most of your peers are, um, but uh, a lot of thought being given to the uh, IMO uh, this week as uh, they discuss uh, sulfur regs and the various factors that could affect the market. What, what's your take on uh, where things are heading right now?
1: Yeah, well, for, for, first of all, thanks for the the title. Um, although you know, top shipping analyst, you know, that that in five bucks typically gets you a bowl of soups. Um, but uh, I pre- appreciate it nonetheless. Um, yeah. So in terms of you know what we're spending most of our time on right now, and you know who you know what we're talking to clients about the most. I mean, the two big themes are going to be uh, LNG and, and IMO. Um, and maybe we'll start with LNG because. GasLot Partners actually just reported this morning. Um, you know, the uh, obviously rates are are, are finding an, another gear here. Um, you know, after a three or four year trough, we're starting to really see rates get above uh, above kind of the reference rate, kind of moving above 75k. And and we actually it seems like we hit a point the last couple weeks where you know that that improvement stops being linear, right? And you start really gapping up. So I was talking to uh, the head of a, the major LNG. Uh, Freight book yesterday actually, and there's speculation of rates materially north of 200,000 in the market. I think that's probably a one-off, but it's it's like we're very quickly hitting a point at which if you have an open vessel, um, you can strip away most of the arbitrage, the export arb, from anyone that's got an open cargo commitment um, or an open open uh, exposed uh, cargo commitment. So we're Mm -hmm. kind of very quickly, I think, figuring out the theoretical ceiling for for LNG carrier spot rates, which is, a great, which is a great process to be in after several years at, at kind of 30 to 40K. Um, so, you know, what that means for us is that names like uh, Gaslaw, Golar um, should start making money on their, on their spot tonnage after burning a fair amount of cash. Um, mm-hmm. It's somewhat reflected in valuations for some of these trading pretty, pretty well above NAB, but for someone like Golar, it's, it's uh, you know, still kind of trading slightly below their some of the parts. You know, and then you know, outside of that, you know, the, the rate thesis, which you know we think you know plays out for the next next couple of years. I think twenty end of twenty 2020, twenty, early twenty twenty one is when we're a little bit, you know, we're watching the order book pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's kind of a the slowdown in FIDs we saw from the LNG project side a couple of you, you know a couple of years ago or the last couple of years should eventually show up for LNG carriers and then kind of a lack of new business. Um, you know, two to three years from now. So that's something we're kind of keeping an eye on. And then we covered, the, you know, Chenier and, and Tellurian and, and, and the, the U.S. export names as well. And there's a kind of a big, uh, effectively a big global competition you see you can, can FID projects. Um, and it certainly seems like the global projects right now, uh, be it Shell, Cutter, um, Arctic 2, certainly seems like it's going to get done. Um, got the, the global projects versus, say, you know, U.S. Gulf LNG, um, you know, the global projects seem to be getting in the upper hand right now yeah. um, for a number of reasons.
0: And do, I mean, you, you, you mentioned mentioning time span of two years. I mean, do you, beyond that, any any feelings on whether it's going to, you know, continue? I mean, you know, in terms of the the, the rates you are talking about this, the ceiling there. I mean, at the moment, I I think you reported last week that you got rates that – level post Fukushima levels I mean yeah it's quite astounding yeah. compared to where we were even six months ago
1: yeah it it, it really did escalate quickly um, you know I, I can tell you that the you know I've got I talked to a couple you know shenneer and some other guys that, that have you know pretty big pretty big cargo um, uh, cargo books and you know they are they would flip some of their some of their tonnage commitments um, would flip some of their tonnage book to try, you know, for for a month or two, trying to you know make a little bit of money on their freight book, and and they stopped doing that now because they're worried about not getting the vessels back. Because at this point, they're worried about not having enough capacity to cover their their committed volumes. Um, you know, so it has it has certainly improved. Um, you know, this quarter it's always interesting from an equity perspective because there's always a lag associated with when these rates actually hit the the P and Ls for most companies. So it looks like the, the cool pool rate for Q3 is around fifty thousand a day, which you know, if you're not measured when you're looking at that, you might be disappointed because it's not a hundred or hundred and fifty. But in reality, you know, that that rate, you know, those kind of rates will take a quarter or two to filter their way through to to names like Gaslog and Golar and uh, DynaGas and Flex. Right. Um, but it, you know, really, this, you know, what we're seeing right now is the start of a you know multi-year period where you know we're 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 benefiting from the fact that the sector underbuilt for for a few years. So. Mm. Um, I can tell you the most interesting dynamic to me, and I actually just asked Gaslog about this on the earnings call, is that when you think about the way the sector responded, there's responding this cycle versus last cycle. There's no one this cycle that's able to go out like Golar did and place an order for ten firm vessels or twelve and and deliver them on finance. Um, you know, what you're seeing with new entrants is this go around is you know, two plus, you know, six, eight, ten options. And then they're kind of diving into this term charter market, trying to find whatever cover they can for the first two, use that to finance those and kind of move on to the next two. So it's a bit more of a piecemeal approach. And it's interesting that it seems like it's weighing down the near, you know, the long-term charter market just a little bit as, as they're kind of, that's the only avenue with which they have to kind of really make a, a larger splash in the space. Um, so seeing, you know, Cardiff have those kind of, you know, that kind of program. Um, a couple others, uh, some of the newer entrants. Um, mm-hmm. the, the limited availability of capital is impacting their ability to dive in quickly, and that's having an interesting reverberation around the long-term charter market. Is that's their their only way in? Um, but uh, no, we're we're pretty pretty bullish on most of our LNG names. Um, out you know outside of Saint Louis, next decade and Magnolia, the, the the speculative greenfield projects in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But Chenier, Gola, all those names are are among our among our favorites
0: moving on to the, uh, the 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 big elephant in the room the 2020 um i mean yeah. we're now edging towards the end of the MEPC discussions uh, you know diplomatic fireworks aside there's no great surprises coming out of London this week in terms of uh, what we anticipated you know general direction of 2020 does mean 2020 surprisingly um you know some discussions mm. around the minor details but it seems you know, the compliance issue is going to be roughly where we assumed it was going to be, and there's no great surprises. So from that perspective, we've got a fairly clear regulatory picture in terms of what the top level are expecting. But, I mean, in terms of the market, I mean, it's still anyone's guess in terms of where the pricing delta is going to be on HFO versus uh, everything else. I mean, what's your view? How do you see this playing out realistically?
1: You know, it's, it's funny because, it's you know, we spend – Equal amount of time on IMO and LNG, and you know, IMO was was much harder to ramp up on, um, just, just given that there's so many different permutations of how this could shake, you know, this could shake out. And we started really diving into it earlier this year, and mm-hmm. I guess late '17. Um, and it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole in the refining complex and get lost. From at least from from our angle, um, <laughs> I would say that, you know, the it, it was it was it was kind of it was amusing to see to see uh, Trump come in and 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 comment around trying to slow it down last week, and, and my first thought was that you know maybe that's a bit of a straw man, that if, if, you, if you turn IMO into a bit of a boogeyman and uh, lay the blame for higher higher crude costs um, at the IMO seat, it makes you look a bit more like a hero if you do an SPR release in 2019 or 2020 heading into the election to try to, to, to bring pricing down. Um, I don't know if I don't know if he's that calculated. Um, I, I might be giving him I mean, too much <laughs> Machiavellian credit. Um, but that maybe that says more about me that that's where my head went. Um, but uh, you know, I would say the in terms of how we're positioned for IMO, you know, it it, it became pretty clear to us early that that the, the we wanted to be long the idea of inaction. Right. And that you saw the, in the U.S. refining complex invested, effectively invested for this a decade ago. Yeah. Um, globally, we hadn't seen a level of invested in, in investment necessary to, to really destroy three and a half million barrels of HSFO. And so, you know, you asked, you know, a lot of your, you know, your, the, the, the points you brought up in your question, like, are still very difficult to answer. But when we were looking at it, we're like, well, we, what we do know is that we're pretty sure we're not going to have, it's not going to, the market's not going to be cleared on Jan 1, 2020. Right. It's yeah. probably not going to be cleared on April 1, 2020. It's going to take more time to figure this out, and as we, you know, when we run our math, you know, depending on different levels of compliance and scrubber adoption and, and optimization at, at, at the global refining complex, you know, we get to anywhere from, you know, a couple thousand barrels a day to almost a million barrels a day of HSSO that would effectively need to be cleared into, you know, the emerging market, you know, the EM power market or mm. um, or somewhere else, maybe a bit more asphalt. Um, it's probably a combination of, of a bunch of things, but – you know, if, if we if we look at it and we say, okay, well, if that's not going to happen. It's going to take a couple quarters for that to happen. Um, it would pretty quickly absorb land-based floating uh, land-based storage for HSFO. Um, and we kind of came up with a thesis around the idea we could see some structural floating storage for HSFO, and at least until it clears, and that could be a couple quarters, yeah. um, which would obviously be good for tankers. Um, and then when you back away and look at it and you think about, okay, the different ways to destroy that much HSFO, you know, I, I've yet to come up with a way to do that. that doesn't require a lot more crude. Um, and so, when we when we really looked at it, you know, it, it seemed that crude tankers were the easiest way to uh, to articulate a, a kind of a long trade around inaction um, and eventual uh, blending. And so, so we're long URNF, Frontline, DHT, um, and T N K. And you know, when we look at you know across the other spaces, you know. It, it, Typically, you know, typically spot shipping segments are price takers, um, just like anything else with a fuel surcharge effectively, you're going to get hit on the way up and you're going to benefit on the way down. So it's a headwind for, for most sectors. Um, obviously scrubber adoption could help that. And I, I would typically, anything that's spending a lot of time on long haul voyages, I think within reason, um, you know, scrubbers tend to make sense. I don't know about MRs or Afros, It would really depend on the kind of business they're doing, mm. but, uh, the, you know, the, we downgraded most of the container names as a way to kind of articulate the fact that, you know, a lot of these guys are going to have a hard time and that's end users kind of with the container lines really have a hard time passing through uh, exogenous shocks to their cost curves. So when we've seen, you know, you know crude spikes, you know, historically, um, it's typically led to, you know, a collapse in profitability and heightened credit risk among the container lines. And so we actually found there's almost a I don't mean, a 0.985 correlation between you know CMA bond yields and uh, you know the equities that we cover, or negative mm-hmm. correlation rather. So, you know when when people are really worried about credit risk at the container lines, you know the companies that we cover don't do well. Um, people are worried about contract validity and counterparty risk. Yeah. So you know when, when you when you really look at it right now, you know after three years of pretty healthy containerized trade growth, um, you know the average you know the average liner uh, Operating margin is, is negative four percent, and that's just with Brent going to seventy-five. So when you really introduce a shock to their, you know, their cost curve, um, you know, and the inability to fully pass it through, and, and, and still, what is a very competitive market? We just think. We just think it's a very difficult environment for, you know, container ship owners, box lessors, you know, kind of all the supporting sectors to operate because their counterparties, you know, a number of their counterparties are going to be under a, a fair amount of financial stress from from IMO and then also obviously from from tariffs and from from kind of containerized trade getting squeezed. So it's a very very long winded answer to a very uh, a very difficult question I think, but um, that's how we're positioned basically long long crude, um, short you, know, new, you know, on the sidelines the short containers um and then kind of picking our spots elsewhere mm, i think
0: the containers one is a particularly interesting one simply because as you say the ability the you know the historical ability of that sector to be able to pass those costs on is is not great uh, and you've only got to look at the yeah. um sort of the rhetoric that's already passing between their customers uh and and the lines in terms of the new fuel surcharges that they've tried to introduce you know they're you know, saying they're transparent but you know the shippers don't agree they never do I, you know it just seems um you know very very unlikely that uh, the cost is going to be uh, in any way uh, something that can be uh, handled with clarity and that as you say is, is going to pass on a risk to a, a sector that is already suffering and has suffered um you know yeah. w- you know we we saw what happened post-hanjin and i think you yourself sort of raised uh, you know the post-hanjin specter the, the counterparty risk scenario is not yeah. looking
1: great yeah you know when we when we downgraded the you know all of our container names around that you know is i think we, we we the market was is a bit punchy right now to begin with so i think they were all off you know 12 or 13 percent which is not actually what we were expecting i thought it'd be more gradual as people kind of realize that okay this is a you know tariffs are getting most of the attention but this is a big deal and it's mm-hmm. coming you know it's a year year and a half out um so uh yeah I, I think you know the market right now is a little bit punchy just around global dynamics in general um but no i i, I agree and you know the when you see you know earning uh, guidance revisions like we saw from one, you know, moving to, a, I believe it was a $600 million loss um, from $150 million, um, you know, pretty pretty significant shifts. And there's a, there's a notion out there that because we've seen consolidation that all of a sudden, you know, you don't have such a competitive price environment. And you know, I would point to the fact <laughs> that, you know, up until this point, it felt pretty good from a containerized trade perspective, and we're sitting at negative 4%. It, it, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, if, if, if they were able to command price and to really and really protect, you know, kind of create a moat around pricing um they would have done it it's it's it's, it's not there now and and i, I really you know I, I i i tend to agree with you that it's, it's pretty it's 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 difficult to see how they would all of a sudden be able to pass through that kind of a move in their cross groups
0: so moving on slightly I mean apart from your, uh, your your reliably entertaining analysis I think probably it's fair to say that you are, are best known for initiating what's now become a semi-annual uh, corporate governance scorecard that uh, I guess is uh, delighted and outraged ship owners depending uh, on their ranking as uh, something I can certainly uh, sympathize with as uh, somebody who's involved in the lawyers list top 100 as is being written at the moment um, you know yeah. you get thanked for these things um, but it you know it's an interesting annual take on on corporate governance within shipping and uh i just wondered you know in terms of where you're looking at this now do you, th- do you think it's changed do you think it's um, spurred any action in terms of uh, improving corporate governance in the industry or are we still looking at the same issues as when you started this
1: yeah i think you know it, it's funny that now i think you know it, it's it's what we're it, within parts of the sector it is it is one of the big things we're known for um didn't, didn't start out for it to be in, it kind of be intended that way but you're right anytime you start putting a ranking or a number next to somebody's name um, you know it tends to get attention and um, they tend to take it personally which is uh, somewhat by design actually but the uh, you know it's it's, it's 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 sometimes it's just fun to pick a fight um, the uh, I, I do think it's improving I, I think that's you know the I think our piece you know helps but you know I think it was impro- it, it, it was certainly improving beforehand too I think mm. that the you look at the quality of the new entrants generally in the space, you know, gas log, uh, navigator. Um, I'm probably forgetting a couple, but in general, I think they've been better than, say, previous cycles. I don't think it's it's certainly not perfect. Um, hmm. I do think it's getting better. I think that there's you know there's more pushback. You know, we saw, you know, there was a loan. You know, or, I'm sorry, not a loan. There was, a, you know, an investment between. Um, you know, a dry bulk and a product anchor entity uh, two weeks ago. And, you know, you know, it actually wasn't a name, more names that we covered, but there were two or three um, analysts that that, that downgraded one of the entities and it it got more attention and there was a lot of explaining to do. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, I think for us, one, it's it's easy because it's it's the right thing to do too. And like, I I, I don't say that flippantly or you're going to be coy. Like it's just, it's easy to, 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 to get behind that kind of a trade, um, because it's just the right thing to do. Um, it also, you know, it, 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 it this, this sort, of, this sort of stuff is, it's costing everyone money, right? Like the cost of capital in this space is, is wider than it probably should be. And a lot of that is because, um, you've had those kind of conflicted structures or those kind of deals that have really weighed on an investor sentiment in the space, um, kind of c- continually feeling like, uh, you know, they're, you know, at some sort of informational disadvantage and, you know, that, that ultimately reverberates around both bad companies and the and, and, and the, the companies with, with poor governance and good governance alike. Um, and so I, I do think there is – it's it's a gradual process, but it's uh, – I, I do think it's improving. I, I tend to – you know, we're doing it annually now, so we, we move from semi-annual to annual, and that's just a function of the fact that a lot of these data points don't change that frequently. So out yeah. of the gate, we did you – know, it took a couple of years. or was semi-annually, and now we're going to do it every, every April or May. Um, and, uh you know yeah part part of it is I, you know I tend to en- tend to enjoy conflict so uh especially when we when we think or know we're right um, so it's uh it's not something we we, we plan to shy away from um, and I, I can tell you from the investor side uh, i I don't I can't seem I can't recall any criticism from the investor side honestly funny um, that no. and if anything and if anything I take to back anything you know around the piece maybe there you know uh, criticism around you know you know why you know so and so did this deal? Why isn't that reflected in, in the scorecard? Or you know what about this? And we've had to be very kind of cold and calculated around what we're including and what we're not, and you know whether we're going to measure intent. And you know one of the one of the kind of unintended consequences of, of of having this kind of a model that's really really robust and really quantitative is that it makes you define lots of different parameters and. And, you know, things like a statute of limitations, how far back are we going to look? If something has changed, how long do we penalize somebody mm-hmm. for something? Um, you know, all sorts of things that I didn't necessarily think about before we before we started uh, working on it. And now we've had to have very strict criteria around. So, you um, know, then we've gotten some negative, you know, certainly some positive and negative feedback from, from owners. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always up for a good – a good debate or a good argument, um, but uh, I can tell you we've have I haven't heard any arguments compelling enough to make us change uh, anything about the scorecard yet. We we always try to improve it. I think it can get better, um, and we're trying to find ways to do that. But
0: um, good. Well, we look forward to the results from the uh, the next iteration. You said uh, April May next year. Is that right?
1: Yep, April May. Um, it always takes. Actually, it, you'd be surprised how long it takes. Uh, no, it uh, it's can... One piece. I know that. It's, <laughs> I can well understand. A lot A lot of. A lot of <laughs> A lot of data, and if we get anything wrong, I know we're going to hear about it. So it's, uh, right. it's, it's 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 a pretty pretty healthy undertaking. My, my 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 guys do quite a bit of data work around, it, and they do a great job. So, so yeah, the next time we'll we'll you know we'll we jump off that bridge is in, in May probably.
0: Good. Well, we look forward to the results, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on the podcast to talk about it when uh, when they come out. But uh, for the moment, um, uh, Michael, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, thank you for your insight in terms of what's happening in the market. No problem. Thanks for having me.